Well, what we're going to be doing um, between now and the end of February is taking a look at the book of Proverbs. More specifically, we're going to see what the book of Proverbs has to teach us about decision-making and where we're going in life. So, let's start this series off with a bit of an informal survey. Why don't you be honest here? How many of you are bad with direction? Show of hands, you get lost a lot, people make fun of your sense of direction. Quite a few people. Okay, you put your hands down, because you've been honest with me, I'm going to be honest with you. It's confession time. I wouldn't have put myself in that category with you, raise your hands just now, I wouldn't have put myself in that category until a couple of months ago. A couple of months ago, I had a meeting in Oxford at 10 o'clock in the morning. And normally speaking, I would drive. I like like the old driving experience. But Helen, my wife, uh, she had use of the car. So I decided I would try the train. Uh, I arrived at New Street, plenty of time to spare, only to be greeted with the news that my train was running 20 minutes late. So I grabbed a coffee... And after about a quarter of an hour, the departures board on the platform indicated that my train was now due in two minutes. Sure enough, a train pulled up after two minutes. There was some kind of an announcement about the train waiting on the platform, but you know how hard it is to work out what on earth is being said in those announcements. So I jumped on the train, found my seat, was momentarily surprised that the seat I had reserved was occupied by someone else, but I didn't want to kick up a fuss, and there were plenty of other spaces, so I sat somewhere else. It was only as the train started pulling away that I had this nagging thought that maybe this wasn't the right train. So I leant over to the person who was sitting in my seat, and I asked them where the train was heading. They replied, Plymouth. Now, my geography isn't great, but I know enough to know that by no stretch of the imagination would Oxford ever be en route to Plymouth. So my heart sank because I knew that I was on the wrong train. Never mind, I thought, I'll jump off at the next station and get the next train back to New Street. It shouldn't delay me too long. Thirty minutes later, having passed through any number of stations without stopping... I began to get slightly twitchy, at which point the ticket inspector appeared and asked to see my ticket. Now, that was the moment it dawned on me that I could actually be liable for prosecution for travelling without a valid ticket. Now, do you want the good news or the bad news? Bad news. I'm going to give you the good news first. Good news, somehow I managed to talk my way out of paying any kind of fine or even having to buy a ticket for the train I was on. And the friendly ticket inspector, he actually wrote on the back of my ticket, please deliver this, I think it said passenger, or that looked remarkably like imbecile, please deliver this passenger to his intended destination. That was the good news. Bad news, he told me the first stop was Cheltenham. And... Uh, which was still quite some way. And I had the embarrassment as the train approached Cheltenham. The guy does the announcements on the train. He said, so everyone could hear, could the person travelling to Oxford (laughs) please get off the train here? So I got off the train at Cheltenham, then had to get a train to Didcot Parkway. Never been there before. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, And from Didcot, I was able to board a train to Oxford. I arrived three and a half hours late. Now... 
There are three things you need to understand about people with a tendency to get lost. First of all, and humbly I'm speaking from experience now, firstly, we don't do it on purpose. You think it's just we don't pay attention, but we really try. It's just we're not particularly good at it. Second thing you need to understand is we don't know we're lost when we're getting lost. You don't know you're getting lost until you are lost. It's not like you cross a line, realize you're lost, can back up 100 meters, and suddenly you're not lost anymore. It's not normally quite that simple. By the time you realize you're lost, normally you have been lost for quite a long period of time. And then the third thing you need to understand is that the track you're on determines where you end up. Whichever track you're following will dictate where you go. I mean, you might have all these great intentions of where you want to go, but ultimately the track you're on will determine your destination. Because direction always determines destination. Now, here's what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. As obvious as all of that seems in the world of geography, when it comes to the rest of our lives, whether that's our financial life, our dating life, our married life, the way we raise our kids, our education, our profession, whatever that may be, this same principle applies. Your direction determines your destination. In fact, to expand on that ever so slightly, direction and not intention determines destination. I think about it. If you were to load up your car with surfboards and all your beach kit, and you were to head north up the M6, you would never get to Cornwall. You might have planned for a trip to Cornwall. You might have packed everything you need. You might have worked out what you'll do when you get to Cornwall. You might have told all your friends that's where you're heading before you set off. It doesn't matter what you believe, whether or not you've prayed, regardless of all your intentions, if you head north up the M6, you won't end up in Cornwall. Now, we know this is true when it comes to driving somewhere. It's pretty obvious. Those who are taking notes, I can see, haven't actually taken any notes yet. This is pretty obvious stuff. But when it comes to other areas in our life, it's like there's a total disconnect. Whether it's your health, your profession, your finances, your relationships, your direction, not your intention, not your hopes, not your dreams, not your prayers, not your beliefs, your direction ultimately determines your destination. And at multiple levels in our life, we're all either victims or participants in this whole principle. Now, we're going to be talking about this for a number of weeks. And the reason is, it's my biggest concern. The only thing that is driving all of this is that I continue to see this big gap, this gaping chasm between where people want to end up in their lives and the routes they seem to be choosing. I'm telling you, I, I talk to so many people who have hit problems in their marriage, in their finances, in their career, and you listen to them tell their story, and they're so brokenhearted over where they've ended up, but when you listen to them talk about the track they chose to follow, you kind of think, what did you expect? 
I mean, there's this contrast between my hopes and my dreams and where I wanted to end up and the track I chose and where it inevitably took me. And now I find myself so broken-hearted, I find myself so devastated, even angry at God because I'm not where I wanted to be. But all the time, the key question is, why on earth did you head down that track? I'll tell you why. It's because I think we still think intention. We still think our hopes and our dreams somehow magically trump the decisions we make on a day-to-day basis. But the truth is, the direction we're heading in trumps our hopes and dreams and all the good intentions we have. Every single time, the, the direction we choose determines our ultimate destination. Now, to make this hopefully a little bit clearer, I want to go to a passage of Scripture that tells us what I think is a pretty interesting story about a very specific track. We're, we're going to talk about all sorts of different tracks. This is a very specific track, but it does illustrate the principle. So, if you've got a Bible with you, if you haven't already turned to the book of Proverbs, maybe you could do that now. We're going to be looking today at Proverbs chapter 7. While you're finding it, I want to tell you what's going on in this passage. This chapter of Proverbs was written by a guy called Solomon. Solomon was probably the wisest man in the world. And he tells us this story. We don't know whether it's a true story or more of a parable, but Solomon is standing at a window. He's looking down at the street. He sees a guy walking along, and he realizes that although he knows the outcome, this guy's journey is going in, this guy is completely oblivious. Now, I suggest this has probably happened to all of us at some stage in our lives. Uh, show of hands again. How many of you have ever witnessed a road accident? Okay, again, quite a, quite a few of you. Got a kind of graphic that's going to come and illustrate the thing. Maybe you've seen it coming. Two cars about to collide. <laughs> Two cars about to collide. Haven't seen each other. And for a split second, you know the future. In that moment, you were kind of like God. You saw what was going to happen. Or maybe if you're a parent, you've seen your toddler move in a certain direction. You you can see what's about to happen. There it goes, there it goes, there it goes. Crash! Every once in a while, we get this snapshot of someone's destiny. We get this snapshot of where someone's going to end up. It might just be for a moment. But all of us have probably been in a situation where we had at least an inkling about where someone was heading. Or or we had just this hunch about what was going to happen to someone before they did. That's what happens here in this passage. So Solomon narrates this guy's journey, and in doing so, he illustrates this simple principle that every track has a destination, and the direction someone chooses determines their destination. So I'll just read you this story. I'm hoping it will kind of make sense as we go along. Proverbs 7, we'll start out in verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. Let's just pause there. There's a lesson here. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. It's not my main point today. But you see, all youths lack judgment. And the reason is, is not because there's anything wrong with youth. It's just that judgment tends to require time and experience And young people don't tend to have a whole lot of time 
or experience. So consequently, young people tend to lack judgment. So, if you're a teenager here, or just about a teenager, the reason why your parents sometimes come down on you is because they have perspective that you don't have. There there are times when they think you lack judgment. Now, you might think, well, I might lack judgment, but look what you're wearing. But the truth is, as bad as your parents dress, they do have time and experience, and usually speaking, time and experience help them to make good judgments. So Solomon looks at this guy, looks at this youth, walking down the street, and recognizes that he does lack judgment. Verse 8, he was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Now, you don't need to be a Bible scholar to anticipate where this story is heading. Here's this youth walking down the street. The sun is slowly setting. He's heading towards this woman's house, and in the back of his mind, there's a soundtrack playing. I don't know, it might be Black Eyed Peas. I've got a feeling tonight's going to be a good night. Or Christa Berg, Lady in Red, depending on which generation you belong to. Meanwhile, up in the window, Solomon is watching this whole thing. And there's a very distinct soundtrack playing in his mind too. It's not the Black Eyed Peas, it's not Christa Berg, it's the Jaws music. It's like, there is this huge contrast between what this youth is experiencing and what he thinks he's experiencing, and how this older, wiser man sees it. And the reason there is such a contrast, the reason there is such a disconnect is because the older, wiser man sees where it is ultimately heading. The youth thinks it is an exciting event. The the older, wiser man says, no, 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 it's not an event. It's a track. And every track has a destination. And this is a track with a very predictable destination. The story continues, verse 10. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, and with crafty intent. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She, she took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, this doesn't mean a whole lot to us, I have fellowship offerings at home. Oh, however, <laughs> basically what she's saying is, I'm not a prostitute. I've got plenty of money. I'm not after your cash. I have fellowship offerings at home. Today, I fulfilled my vows. Again, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Basically, she's saying, I've just been to the temple. I've got everything squared off with God. I've made my sacrifices. God's forgiven me all my sins in the past. I've got a clean slate. It's like I've emptied out my bucket of sin, and now I'm ready to fill it up again with you. Now, it sounds a bit warped, but I reckon every one of us in this room has done that. It's like we have this system with God. Every time we sin, 
we pray to God and ask him to forgive us. And we've been taught that it's like God has this great big eraser and he rubs out all our sins. And it's so effective, he, he can't even remember them anymore. So, we're free to go out and sin some more. I mean, it'll be okay. God will just forgive our sin again. 1 John 1, nine promises that all we need to do is confess our sins and God's faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sins. He'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Why, hey, we, we can live any way we want. You know what? That is such an insult to God. It's basically saying, God, you are so stupid I've got this whole system figured out. Now, of course, God does forgive our sins. That's what we were celebrating earlier as we were worshipping. So many songs about it, just people spontaneously celebrating the fact we are forgiven. And the truth is, it is like God has this eraser and rubs them out. And the truth is, he doesn't remember them anymore. We can stand before him, a holy God, knowing no guilt and no shame, and no condemnation, if we repent. And repentance is turning from how we lived before, turning from our sin, and choosing as an act of our will, we're going to live God's way from now on. And those who experience his forgiveness and his grace, forgiving them, and yeah, we mess up from time to time, it's not that we become perfect from that point on, but our intention is, no, we want to live for God, we don't want to abuse the system, we don't want to play fast and loose with God, we want to please him, yeah, we trip up from time to time, but he's faithful, and he's full of grace, and when we've tasted his grace, we want to respond by living pure lives for him. But from time to time, we kind of play this game, and we think we're free to sin because God will just forgive us. That's how we kind of justify it whenever we do something. We know it contravenes God's standards. And that's what's going on in this passage. This lady's saying, God has dealt with my sin, so I'm free to go out and sin some more with you. Look what happens. Verse 15. So I came, the lady's speaking here, I came out to meet you. I looked for you. I have found you. And this guy, this youth, he's thinking, you came out looking for me? Wow, I'm so special. I'm the man of her dreams. I'm unique. This is unbelievable. I I walked this way in the hope that maybe I'd catch just a glimpse of her and here she is looking for me. Verse 16, I've covered my bed with coloured linens from Egypt. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. He's thinking, this is unreal. This is the stuff music videos are made of. I, I can't believe this is happening to me. She adds, verse 19, my husband is not at home. He's thinking... I'm kind of assuming that. Verse 19, my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money. You know, maybe that's why they're having this issue in their marriage. He took his purse. Uh, Only kidding. He took his his man bag. He took his rucksack, whatever. Filled with money. 
and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She, she seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her. I mean, he'd be crazy not to. He's feeling so special, so important, so wanted. This is like a dream come true. This is the event of his life so far. That's how he sees it. This is how the older, wiser observer sees it. Verse 22, all at once, he followed her. Like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. This is graphic. He's saying, you know what this is like? You are like a deer that sees a wonderful place to settle in and nestle down. And as you step in, you find yourself inadvertently stepping into a noose. And the more you struggle to release yourself, the more it tightens. You struggle and it tightens and tightens and tightens. And then suddenly from behind the bushes, the hunters appear. And from a safe distance, they fill you with arrows until you breathe your last. Is that graphic enough for you? Honestly not. Because the writer gives us another picture, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now that means thinking, hold on a minute. You're sounding rather like one of my parents right now. Just relax. All I'm doing is having a bit of fun. You've got this all wrong. No one's going to get hurt. It's just a date. It's just a one-night stand. No, it's not. It is a track. You're focused on what you're doing. I'm looking at where you're heading. You're focused on the immediate. I'm focused on the ultimate. You're focused on the here and now. I'm focused on the rest of your life. You see, two contrasting perspectives on the very same event. And then Solomon takes a step back and he addresses you and me. This is the lesson he wants us to learn from this story. Verse 24, now then my sons, now then my daughters, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Hang on, I'm only going to her house. You might think that, but it is a path. It is a track. It is not an isolated event. It is heading somewhere. Verse 26, many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. He's saying, I know you're saying in your head, I know you're thinking, I know you're going, I've never felt this way before. But a lot of other people have. You're going... This is so special. This is too good to refuse, too good to turn down. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but I hate to break it to you. You're a fool. 
this is so commonplace. This is a track. This is so predictable, it's laughable. And, and you're deceived into thinking it's some kind of unique experience designed just for you. Many of the victims she's brought down, you're one of a crowd. Her, her slain are like a mighty throng. This is so common. I've seen this played out so many times that I can tell you with absolute confidence you are like an ox going to the slaughter. You're like a deer stepping into a noose. You're like a bird darting into a snare. How do you say that? You're being so judgmental here. I'm not being judgmental. It's, It's just predictable. It's like you're on a path. It's like you're on a track with a very certain destination. Now listen to this, verse 27. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the very chambers of death. This is like a three-lane motorway. So many people have been down this road. So, So don't think for one minute that you're about to have some unique, special experience. Here's what I want you to hear this week as we start out on this series. We cannot afford to live with the disconnect that our society preaches. The the disconnect that as long as our intentions are good, it doesn't matter what track we take. Because at the end of the day, the track we choose always trumps our good intentions. I mean, this particular youth in the story, he had all the right intentions. He had it all worked out. And this wise man takes one look at him, and he says, you have got it badly wrong. You're like an ox going to the slaughter. You you thought you were on the road to love, but the reality is you're going to end up totally wrecked, totally destroyed, totally ruined. Now look, that's a very specific track. I want to help you out here. So I'll come up with a few more examples. Here are some of the common disconnects, maybe, that we face today. Here's the first one. I want to end up with a great Christian guy or a great Christian girl who's really got their act together. That's my intention. So, I'm going to go out with the first person who shows an interest. How about this one? I want my family to be a really strong unit. I I want my kids to grow up and have a really close relationship with me. So, I'm going to spend every waking hour at work. Now, when they grow up, I I want my kids to respect me. I I want them to come to me for advice. So, I'm going to row all the time with my wife. I don't understand why they don't want to spend time with me. I don't know why they never call me. It's because you lost their respect. That's the way that track goes. You you think you'll be the exception, but you won't be. It's a track with a laid-out destination. It's like a highway, and it doesn't matter how clever you are or wealthy you are, if you end up on the M6 heading north, you will never end up in Cornwall. And if you get on that track, rowing all the time, showing disrespect, it's not the route gaining respect. Here's another one. I want a great relationship with my husband, so I'm going to prioritize the kids. 
You know, you see that all the time. You, you, you can go on marriage courses, you can receive marriage counselling, you can read loads of marriage books, but if on a day-to-day basis you just prioritise your kids over your husband, that is a track with a very clear destination. You, you can't trump it despite all your good intentions, your prayers, books you read, counsel you get from others, even going to church won't do it. Until you change the track you're on, your destination is going to stay the same because direction, not intention, determines destination. A few more examples. I want to be a worship leader. So I'm going to feed my mind with porn. Or I want to grow old and enjoy my grandchildren, so I'm going to neglect my health. I want to lose weight. I want to be thin. So supersize that. Or I want to know God so much better. I meet people who have got such a good understanding of the Bible. I want to be like them. So I'm going to get up half an hour earlier in the morning and watch TV. Or I've got my career path all mapped out in front of me. I want to be in senior management in three years. So I'm going to badmouth my boss. I'm always going to do the bare minimum. And for good measure, I think I'll fiddle my expenses as well. Oh, this one. When I get married, I want to have an incredible sex life. I, I, I want that intimate part of our marriage to be great. So I'm going to practice with as many different people as I can. You know, it breaks my heart. We've got so many singles in the church here. I, I can't think of anything in our culture that breaks my heart quite as much as the message that the way to get great sex in marriage is to sleep with absolutely everybody along the way. Listen, that's a track. And you won't find someone in their 50s who says that sleeping with a whole bunch of people before finally settling down and getting married is the secret of a satisfying sexual relationship in marriage. Set out on that track, it has a very definite, predetermined destination. No one says that in our culture. It's all about, here's what I intend. But there's a huge disconnect. It really is. How about this one? I want to be financially secure. So I'm going to max out all my credit cards and get into as much debt as I can. I, I want to wake up in the morning and not have to worry about the bills coming through the letterbox. So I'm going to take on more and more and more and more debt. Great intention. But that track won't get you there. A whole bunch more. But you get the point. As you think about your dating track, your financial track, your marriage track, your career track, your profession, your education, your entertainment, as you consider all those different tracks, the key question to ask is, are the tracks you're on going to get you where you want to go? Where are they taking you? Where are they taking you? Now look. The reason why so many of us are on the wrong track is because there is something or someone on that track that has some kind of an appeal to us. And it's an emotional appeal. It's only not rational. We, we become so fixated on the immediate that we don't think about the ultimate. That's only how it was for the youth in this story. For him, it was sex. For you, it might be money. It might be possessions. It might be a certain standard of living. It, it might be the need to be needed. It might be popularity. 
Now, as someone who really does care deeply for you, I want you to think about this for a moment. Is that really going to get you where you want to be? Maybe you're saying, just leave me alone. I don't have time to think about that right now. It's like there's something so emotionally appealing, it gets a hook in your heart. Remember in the verse, Solomon says, don't let your heart turn to her ways. In other words, don't let her steal your heart. The reason we're so enamored with the wrong track is so often there's something on it that has such huge emotional appeal that we become so fixated with it that we fail to see beyond it to where we're really heading. And so, when someone comes along and warns you, you don't listen to them. You you resent them into fear. What do they know? It's all about the here and now. God says, it's not all about the here and now. It's not about the moment. It's not about the immediate. It's about the ultimate. This isn't just a date. This isn't just a move. This isn't just a decision, a deal. This is a track you're on, and it's got a very predetermined destination. And you need to take a step back and take a moment or two to ask the question, if I continue on this track, is it really going to get me where I ultimately want to be? Let's be honest. For many of us, We are not able to figure this one out by ourselves. That's why God so often uses family members or friends or life group leaders or the person preaching on a Sunday to to speak into our lives. The question is, at that moment, will we listen? Will we? Or will we think that somehow we can buck the trend? We can be the only person on the face of the planet who can race on full steam ahead in a certain direction without ever reaching the destination. You know, some of you are here this morning and you're only just beginning to reap the rewards of what I've been talking about today. You've maybe been on the track of following God faithfully year after year and Only now are you beginning to experience something of the incredible benefit and blessing of this faithfulness. Some of you, you've been on the track of forgiveness. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. And you just decided, I'm not going down that track of bitterness. So you're forgiven, and you're forgiven, and you're forgiven, and you're forgiven. And you're just beginning to experience the benefit of being a grace-filled person. Or maybe you've chosen to be financially responsible and you've driven smaller and you've lived smaller and you've not dressed as nice and you've stayed out of debt and you've been a steady plodder just staying on that track and you're finally beginning to reap some of those rewards. It's not like God blessed you overnight, but because you chose to stay on the track of living within your means, you have now reached the destination. All around you, people are struggling with the economic downturn. You're financially secure. You see, it's a principle. Direction determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. So here's the question. When you think about your life, you think about your spiritual life, your relationships, your finances, what track or what tracks are you on? Where are you heading? And is the track you're on really going to take you 
where ultimately you want to be. Maybe recently someone's trying to warn you. You've ignored them. Maybe someone's trying to point ahead to where your life's going, and you've thought, I'm smarter than that. Well, why must everyone else on that path isn't going to happen to me? Even though everybody else seems to end up in that particular destination, somehow you're going to avoid it. But you can't. It's a principle. Direction determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. So the question is, again, what about the track you're on? And where's it taking you? What direction are you going in? Morally, relationally, in your marriage, in your finances? What track have you chosen? And isn't it possible that now's the time, this is the moment to bring about a change of course, a change of direction? Next week, we're going to come back for part two, and we're going to look at how to do that, how to go about changing direction. Part three, we're going to learn about how to avoid making stupid mistakes, stupid decisions. And in part four, I'm going to outline some of the common distractions that can pull us off track. But for now, I want to close with this. I, want to, I know that for many of us, this impacts us in different ways. For some of you, even now, you're breathing a huge sigh of relief. You, you thank God for five or ten or fifteen years of doing the right thing, of serving God faithfully. For others of you, you've begun to arrive at some pretty unpleasant destinations. Maybe you've been mad at God. Perhaps you've been mad at someone else. Maybe you're even now mad with yourself. Why could I be so stupid? But this week, would you just begin to let this simple principle take root in your life? And would you ask God to give you the insight to see where you are and where you're heading, and to give you the courage you need to do something about it.